I don't know, I, I, did you hear that? I heard how evil those things were in Horace's voice. Um, I heard it, I could hear it, I'm convicted, thank you. Yeah. So some of these readings sound a little different this year, COVID-19 Delta variant 2021. Last year at this time, we were still washing our hands meticulously, or we were supposed to be. Does anyone remember that? Yeah? I had perfected a path to and from Trinity Church from our apartment that involved touching zero things with my hands. All the way there and back on the subway, my hands touched nothing. In those days last year, potentially everything that came in from outside was defiling, wasn't it? Potentially deadly. Remember that doctor online? You're probably better than me, but I watched this. The guy that made the video on how to sanitize your groceries? Remember that guy? Each piece before placing them in the sterilized sanctuary of your refrigerator. Now, I didn't have the patience to do that, but I will confess that I did wonder if that would end up being how my family contracted the virus, that I didn't do that, right? My lack of energy to spray down the broccoli that entered our house. And do you remember the song that you sang to get your hands lathered up for 20 seconds? Do you remember that? It seems so long ago now, right? I started with the Our Father, because I'm a good Christian, right? <laughs> Kill two birds with one stone, I thought. But then I realized I was just singing it faster and faster because we, you know. <laughs> I'm sure you all had to do this. So I switched to a chorus of Dolly Parton's Jolene, um, <laughs> which is just so fun that there's no reason to sing that fast. You just get in, right? So there weren't quite hand-washing monitors or police or anything like that, but maybe we will never think about the Pharisees in this reading in quite the same way again. They are sounding a lot to me today like the wise, sensible, serious leaders I admire right now. And leave it to Peter and the disciples to not wash their hands and not wash the filth from the food they had picked from the fields. Who knows what was out there, right? Fisherman that he was, he knew about washing up. These are rules made for us, rules to keep us safe. Jesus says the law is made for people. It must serve its purpose which is justice. James says right action flows from that rightly oriented heart. The Bible hits this theme very regularly, but it's easy to miss it, maybe because it's so common. The law or laws are critical to how we live. They define us, whether we agree with them or not. From the religious ones, like when and how you pray, and here we Episcopalians excel. Stand here read this, we just practiced lining up exactly right, right? And now all together sing, and we do it happily, right? Our very prayer is a legalistic routine that for most of us opens up a profound freedom to be gathered with others. Isn't that what we all do here? We are strangely invited to be our full selves at home, here with strangers because of the rules and the structure. At our best, we create an environment in which we can see one another more fully, open-hearted, maybe across barriers we struggle to cross in our day-to-day, -day, because we have common cause with the people in this room that choose to do this like us. 
The readings today point to the purpose of what is called the law in the readings, and they make a provocative proposition for these blue and red times in America. The law as delivered to Moses establishes relational values and defines justice in ways that should establish identity and belonging. They are a people, and it says a wise and discerning people. If they can follow these laws, people will say of them. You will remember that in those passages, similar to that litany that Horace just read, the widow and the orphan always come up, people with no future or protection. They are our collective responsibility, the Bible says, pretty much from the beginning, repeatedly. In James, true religion is defined as relationship with these seemingly doomed people, at the very least, very unlucky souls. And included in that litany of the vulnerable in the Bible is always the migrant, the immigrant, the foreigner, the captive, the prisoner, the sick. These are rules as to, they're rules actually for things as particular as, and if there are a lot of real estate people in here, they're literally rules about how to sell your land and what fairness looks like in that. These laws protect the less powerful and set out to define a people whose day-to-day ordering of their lives reflects the love of their God for every one of them. Now, it's not clear how effectively these laws were ever practiced, right, or imposed. We don't know if the year of Jubilee, the great forgiveness of debt and rest for the land, freedom for the captive, ever happened, but it's there, it's written down in the law, in the Bible. You will remember the rule of the judges and the stories of Solomon declaring judgment. There was law and people to interpret those laws. And Jewish law was among the ancient codes of law. When you study these texts, you study them against Hammurabi and people like that, foundational documents to think about how we order our common life. And kind of its innovation is that it was written down, that we still have it, that you can point to it, not just in the body of a powerful person, but, but inscribed. And here in the West, we have the Iroquois Great League of Peace, which creates the kind of democracy we have today. Um, There is law inscribed, right? The Pope just got himself in trouble in addressing a version of these readings, so I'm gonna be really careful today. (laughs) Because he's pretty much always right, right? I think that's that law. Um, What he got wrong is an old, potentially anti-Semitic reading of these passages, that the law of the Hebrew people the law we read about today in Deuteronomy, the extensive guidelines that governed what was first a small clan of families was somehow inadequate, a misunderstanding of God's purpose. And you can see how you could get there in today's reading. And that Jesus in the flesh, the healer, the prophet and mystic is a more true sign of what God is and what God wants from us. And I think that's what most of us Christians learn in church. As you can imagine, our Jewish friends do not agree And I think a confident Christianity does not have to agree. We don't have to one-up Judaism to be legitimate. We can stand alongside a sibling religion in a posture of listening and be much better for it. And I believe if we do so, we are reading these texts more accurately for what they were intended for. Deuteronomy and Leviticus do lay down rules that we do not follow, except when we like them. There's some good ones in there. But, you know, like washing hands seems very good right now, and if I had to quote Leviticus to get you to do it, I'd be happy to do that. There are rules about how families are to be constructed and who your heir will be that are outdated. We don't use those. None of us would take them seriously today. 
But there is a larger concept of identity and the cycles of shared communal life that are foundational to all of us. A scaffolding of who we will be together that is the purpose of any kind of law. It's easy to forget in our current political climate, influenced so heavily by the French revolutions and the European rebellions from feudal lords that make our law as a country, that name personal and corporate freedom as the primary goals of the law because they were the presenting problems of the revolutionaries, right? Freedom from imperial oppression. But law is for so much more. Jesus says the law is for people. A hungry person should eat. There might be hunger outside of the structured, well-resourced lives of those who can observe all ritual cleanliness. Hunger might take priority. Jesus says hunger does take priority. Like there might be school children who just need to eat, regardless of how much money is in their pocket. Or a person living with mental illness who needs medical help, not a prison. Or a people whose humanity has been degraded by the law, whose uplift becomes then the responsibility of the law. The law is for the people. We decide who we are together, the text reminds us, and watch out, it says, in every generation, because we will be tempted to make idols of the things that we make, the Bible tells us from the very beginning. What is meant to be a tool can become like God for us. Watch out, the entire text says over and over. The separation of our spiritual or religious lives and the rest of our lives is a very recent idea. For most of time, our lives have been much more integrated than they are today. Your religious values were just your values. And so if you believed in racial equity, you wouldn't have to sort out the religious implications separately from the law and your church and civil society. It was all the same. It would have had to have been the same. Jarrell Robinson Brown in his new book challenges us in a similar way. What if it is us, we that make up the church, we that make up society? Um, what if it is we that would have to extend grace for grace to be real in this life? In the same way that it would have to be us that extend justice for justice to be real in this life. So he says, what if grace is not simply the spiritual state of your soul in relationship to God? Though it is absolutely that, which is what I know about grace, you are forgiven, you are beloved. You are exactly as you are in the eyes of God, beloved. But what if it is also a lived reality of generosity and kindness and welcome and justice? What if what comes from our hearts, those true things that can corrupt, Jesus says today, what if we work to uncorrupt that? What if we produce signs of true religion, pure and undefiled, compassionate, loving, even to or especially for those for whom there appears to be no hope? What if we emanated grace? The thing about hand washing is it seems to never last. The Bible kind of points this out for us, right? Clearly the Pharisees are struggling with the not hand washers. I haven't washed my hands for 20 seconds in a long time. I will admit, I'm sure it's only me. I mean, it's probably not necessary, but it was actually a pretty nice ritual looking back. I sang a song. I paused in a busy day many times. There was enough time to do it. Shocking, I had 20 seconds many times. I noticed what my hands touched. I took a little bit more care than I do right now. All very good things. I found that when I sang Jolene, I hoped it would work out for Dolly Parton every time. I couldn't help it. 
So maybe the lesson for today is about people like you and me that paid slightly closer attention for a period, noted that we should be careful, that we could be careful, that it mattered what we said and sang and what we listened to, what we took in. Maybe it's time to notice where we have shifted our perception to self-protection from a sense of our more communal selves. I think it's time. It makes sense that this time would make us worry more or make us more anxious, absolutely. More inclined to judge others, unfortunately, and the intentions of their hearts. Less powerful to shift our own worries. So maybe it's time to start a new ritual of some kind, maybe a deep breath or two when washing our hands could be our practice in this next time of transition, a reset of our breath to breathe in the compassion of true religion, that grace of God sufficient for you and me, and maybe to breathe out and try to emanate some of that grace into this broken world and generate some energy in those same prepared hands to build the world God dreams for us, a wellspring of grace. <laughs>